Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod, brought to you by the team behind Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin. I'm Paul Jarvis, the editor, and with me is my deputy, Jonathan Davis. Hi, Paul. And in today's episode, Jonathan will be speaking to Graham Olver, Chief Executive of Airport Owner and Regeneration Body, Luton Rising. Then, as usual, we will pick out and discuss some of the main points coming from the interview. So, let's get on with the show. Great to have you on the show, Graham. Jonathan, a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So what I wanted to do is kind of just follow up on the conference, which I'm sure many of the listeners were at earlier in the year, which is all about ESG. But also, we want to broaden that out into the wider infrastructure sector, because we've got lots of listeners over in Americas and around the world. And a lot of these people are going to be in charge of hefty infrastructure assets and trying to use that to affect real change, whether that is environmental, social, and obviously the G of governance as well. And you and your team at Luton Rising, head of one of the UK's major airports, are really leading the way in the way that you're trying to affect change. But for those who haven't travelled through your facility, can you just outline who you are and what it is your mission statement is at the moment and how you're affecting Luton and the region? Well, Jonathan, it's my honour and privilege to be a chief executive of Luton Rising, which is the asset-owning company of Luton Airport. It's the fifth biggest airport in the UK. And our unique proposition is that we try and co-develop town centre, our local communities and the airport with one joined-up piece of thinking. I remember from previous conversations, you're talking about creating that feedback loop that drives change. Because Luton itself is a town that has got some quite unique challenges doesn't it? Well it does I mean to give some sense of the figures involved I mean there is no town of Heathrow really or a town of Gatwick in quite the same way there's a town of Luton which has a very unique ethnicity to it and challenges so that there are some 50% of children living in uh, poverty in Luton. Luton is a unique challenging environment there's a Tremendous spirit in its people, but to give a sense of the uh, town itself, there are over 160 languages and dialects spoken in Luton. About 50% of the children in Luton live in some form of poverty. And if it gives you a sense of what we did in 2040 from a council perspective, you know, we provided some 23,000 vulnerable households with the financial support totaling over £6 million. All the usual things you'd expect, but it has a unique combination of challenges as well in that it's about 2.5% of the southeast of England's GDP, but takes in from migrants and refugees about 25% of those allocated to the southeast of England. So it really is a melting pot um, with huge spirit, I think huge positive energies in it, but great, great challenges. So it's an interesting kind of set of problems where you've got a huge asset that, you know, is integral to the community, but also a community that's got the challenges that you said before. What is the kind of interaction between the two? How does an infrastructure asset like that affect the change that Luton Council and Luton Rising are trying to affect? Well, I've been involved in the development for about three and a half years now. And I think a few things we did differently. We changed the wording from talking about the airport to our airport so that took a broad and wider sense of both the benefits and responsibilities of an airport secondly we 
considered it, and they use the language of living systems and ecosystems. So we see the airport as the keystone species, really, in the whole of the Luton and surrounding areas system because of its impact on jobs. You know, over 10,000 people, livelihoods, come from the airport, but also in the way in which we channel the benefits of that. So we put in about a pound a second, 365 days a year, into the local authority itself and we put 7.4 million pounds even during covid into local communities and the mesh of support systems that communities and faith groups and others provide for their own communities so that's a huge difference if that gives you a sense of it in 2019 that was 53 pence per passenger it's put into community projects compared to airports that would that would be probably 2.1 pence is our next biggest airport contributor to community projects. And who's driving that kind of decision making? Because you've got quite an interesting structure as a body, don't you? Yes, we're a hybrid structure really, created very uniquely for Luton. In the, It has a mixture of secondes from the council, what I call kind of greyware, friends, colleagues and people that I bring in that have huge experience across the industry and are somewhere between between career and retirement and therefore want to make a difference and then we have strategic partners which are hugely important and that spirit of partnership where we can pull in experts from everywhere and create a, a unique combination of council governance as well on top of that so we've got a real hybrid structure that takes the best I think of private public and communities in one package. When you're trying to mould together those two different systems of thinking, where perhaps in the council side, you know, you've got those targets of trying to help grow the community, but then also the private sector has the ability to maybe deliver some of it, but might have different goals in mind. Obviously, I'm thinking of the profit margins. How do you marry together those two different views? Well, it's about finding common language, common methods of success but recognizing that each of the contributors give something and take something different but the overall system has to benefit so classically a sort of bigger pie equitable slice and recognizing that the common language of success can drive common purpose and produce exceptional results so not everybody will make a fortune in Luton but everybody makes a difference Yeah, and that bigger pie element, are the private sector kind of receptive to that idea? Does that breed kind of long-term partnerships for you? It does. We have have a 100-year perspective and a 50-year and a 30 and a 20. And certainly the next 20-year plan shows progressive growth across multiple assets because obviously we have the airport, we're putting in a new people mover system as well that's going live later this month that connects the airport and and railway in London in a new way. Plus, we have commercial buildings as well. So we have a wide range of private sector partners, all of whom recognise that to get the value out of the system, they have to contribute to it. And when it came to COVID, we really built very, very strong relationships because we took the view that we weren't just solving the problems that we ourselves had and the challenges that we had. It was our duty and responsibility to get the whole system working and to not just stabilise it, but to win the recovery and build platforms for growth. And that's what we're 
we're at at the moment, which is as the aviation industry recovers, you know, it looks to get back to where it was in 2019, about 2024. We've got very, very strong platforms. We've invested in very strong relationships where we're looking to get asset optimization and fair returns, almost despite the contracts, you might say. So we're looking to have new relationships and new ways of working with say, our operators at the airport, the concessionaires, by recognising that we're building it off of asset life not contractual terms. How much does that actually change the relationship? Do you have to form things that are more partnerships rather than this kind of transactional approach that we have seen for infrastructure development and and operation in the past? Yeah, so it's a difficult word, partnerships, because partnerships can cover all, all manner of sins and that it's a very positive word. And really, it's always around relationships, which is dynamic. Different people, different approaches. It's a living systems approach where we say, if we, if for example, if we took a, a, a 10 year period left on a concession for an operator that's not going to be involved in building new assets, for example, that's a period where all the value is extracted by not spending excessive money on operations and not investing in growth. Now, if we had a 10 year period, now at a time of huge technological change existential challenges on climate change etc we would have a two boxes working separately and the whole system not benefiting so we said let's throw away the rule book a bit here work from the assets themselves and work out a new way which as i say derived from our strong relationship in solving the um the covid crisis challenges that creates a new platform which means we can invest can grow and we've just submitted an application this week to grow the airport from 18 million to 32 million that is with the national planning people and will be an 18 month to two year process where we can create a platform that gives us 20 30 40 three generational thinking delivered in Luton that provides the security for the communities of Luton for the foreseeable future. Can you delve a little bit more into that plan? And for listeners who might be thinking this project ticks all the boxes for them, you know, it's got really strong community elements, it's ESG-focused, and also there's opportunity for growth and to partner. What should they be looking out for and how can they best prepare to also join forces with you? Well, I think it's always around understanding value and people... And organisations perceive value in different ways. So there's a common systemic approach, meaning that everyone's contribution to making the whole system successful is the investment part, and then everyone extracting something from it that's consistent with their reason for being. So in our case, you know, we would focus on converting assets. You know, so getting capital, converting it to assets, converting assets into value managing the value and the risks associated with it and then the alchemy of that is converting that into positive outcomes and social impact. Now not everyone is going to be on the full journey of what we're looking to achieve but there are many who would journey with us along the way a bit like Chaucer you know and uh, people would join the journey and contribute their part and they would get their returns for their contribution but take great pleasure and pride 
in recognising that they're actually contributing to something bigger than their organisation and bigger than themselves. So common purpose with professional discipline and fair, equitable and enduring contractual and commercial and partnering relationships. It's very hard to put a recipe or a prescription. I think every mega project, every transformational change, every social change has its own characteristics. So there's no recipe, but relationships, partnering are key to long-term success because all contracts are incomplete. It's interesting. It's kind of marrying together a few of your points so far. As you said, you know, during COVID, you had to think really creatively. And then going forward now, it seems like you're trying to also keep that creative agility that you had to build up during the pandemic and utilize that going forward. For other people who are managing assets, kind of big or small, what advice do you give to people who are looking to do things differently? And like you said, throw out the rule book, which can be a daunting thing to do. Yes, I think it's throwing out the rule book in one sense, but yet having the professional discipline in the other. It's a kind of paradox, which is which is not to take away all the professional disciplines that are related to asset management across the life cycle. They're critical for economy and efficiency and doing a good job. It's saying, well, what are the constraints we've built in here? What are the boundaries to better collaboration? What if we tried to come up with a new way of creating value by releasing constraints, for example? What about the pricing of risk? What about the different ways of delivering value indirectly as well as directly? So these are, these are as, as you know, I've said before, Jonathan, I don't, I don't like the word mindset as such, but it is a different kind of mindset. What we've done is pursue the integrated value approach, meaning that everyone can see what their contribution is and can take some benefit from the contribution that they make. So whether it's attitude, you know, which is a lot of it, whether it is collaboration, whether it's understanding that you might have a right under a contract, but actually there's a bigger game to play here than being pernickety about a term in the contract versus the benefits that might be generated elsewhere. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting and different kind of way of doing things. And just projecting forward, you know, you said you're thinking of timelines that are massive, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 and upwards. But we've seen over the last 10 years, the face of infrastructure changing, the need of infrastructure and, and desires of what communities want it to do changing a lot. So how do you build in the flexibility for the next timeline when you know that the time at the moment is shifting sands and net zeros, throwing other things in the books? How do you plan to maintain that agility? Well, we've approached it, again, I say these are quite situational specific, but we've approached it on a sort of progressive partnership basis, meaning that we could enter into long-term 50-year deals, but Actually, what we've looked at for the growth of the airport is a way to develop the existing contract that we have into ways to extend it, change it, and deal with a first phase of our asset development at the airport, assuming that we get our planning consent, then looking at what the longer-term arrangements might be and how that could link in with other strategies that might relate to things like airport cities and the assets that sit around the airport itself. So it's like three three phases, but they're not linear. They're around progressing the partnership into something that could be richer 
and wider and take the benefit of the changing attitudes, I would say, and changing investment profiles of the partners that we work with. So, for, for, so to give particular examples, we've got a Green Horizons Enterprise Zone and uh, business parks. The concept of airport city is something that is very interesting to our concession partner. Now, we're not in dialogue about how to do that, but we can see how over a 20-year period that could be something that is to our mutual advantage. And therefore, we will work on that. But in the meantime, we'll absolutely focus in what we're going to do in the next five years to get the full value out of our asset in the short term and tackle some of the bigger challenges around accelerating the environmental requirements that we all have in our climate challenges. Yeah. I keep using the word interesting. I think podcast listeners will know that I always overuse it, but it is a really interesting <laughs> balance between, you know, you've got control and then you've also got room for flexibility. And then you've got that short term and the long term and yep. stability and agility is a fascinating middle path between and kind of a sweet spot, if you will. But you also need the counterpart of an open-minded private sector who's willing to both take those opportunities that you present on the near term with the view the long-term partnership could also evolve. Is there anything, any message to the kind of private sector who, like I say, you're going through this mindset or uh, approach change that you think that they need to hear to best prepare themselves to also be a useful partner? I think that walking in other people's shoes and understanding both the politics and the ways of working in inside municipalities, as well as understanding the requirements of being listed on a stock exchange and being a, a multinational, these are very different worlds. And creating those hybrid environments to get the best out of both and it requires a lot of proactive thinking, deep understanding, and a recognition that uh, the constraints that would appear obvious to one party are completely not obvious to another party. And therefore, the roles of mediation, the roles of learning together, the roles of co-creation, the roles of collaboration, the softer aspects, the hardest aspects of doing any major infrastructure any major ecosystem development are skills that have to be brought in you can't purely be a contractor you can't purely be a banker you can't purely be an insurer you can't purely it's where it's where the, the crucible is the the interface the crossroads really like where these disciplines and these experiences come together you need what i you know would say it's cash really and i don't mean cash just in the financial terms i mean community I mean, arts, you need STEM and you need the humanities. So the teams that you need and the mindset that you need has to be rather iconoclastic a bit and be able to pull together the best of all of those environments, experience and professions. And it's a craft exercise. You can't read it in a book entirely. You can't, none of us can learn to swim by reading a book or you teach your kids to ride a bike. You can't give them some instructions and expect them to process it and not fall off you have to learn by doing so years of of engagement in sdg work can be extraordinarily helpful years of engagement in project finance can be very helpful years of engagement of 
dispute resolution. You know, all of these these skills are required, not in one individual, but you need to get that balance across the teams coming together, co-locating, co-solving. That's the essence and the art of this. Is there any kind of encouragement that you think needs to come from, say, a, a central place to encourage that kind of working together? Because I'm just thinking that you will have a lot of people listening who will think that sounds really challenging. You know, that goes beyond their expertise. And there are places in the world or other projects where they can go and do their core work as they have done before without the extra complexity. I guess the argument, well, first of all, do you think we need to have a system to rethink the way we approach this? And also is the idea that this opportunity is so compelling based on the impact it can have and also the long-term nature that you think that is enough to make people to drive a rethink of the way they do things? Well, as I, as I said, John, I think everything is very contextual. You learn to do these things by participation. I think that, you know, the Renaissance wasn't throwing away the old for the new. It was combining that. So you, you do need all the, all the disciplines to set that you don't throw everything away to do this you you have emergent properties really that come from these systems you find stuff that works and then you look to build on it and that that as i say takes a takes a certain cadre of teams to be able to do that i mean these are high risk high wire environments i was talking to someone yesterday one of my my friends and colleagues and said this is very much like a salad dressing it's great but if you don't shake it up or you just leave it in the fridge for a while, it will separate and fester. So constantly have to be putting energy into and have that ability to solve problems with a long-term mindset as well as a short-term. And as I said, there's no substitute really for getting the right individuals in there, understanding power dynamics, power relationships. It's really hard to prescribe. So was it Tolstoy who said that every every happy family is the same, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own special way? And I think that's right with these types of projects as well. You have to work incredibly hard to deeply understand other people and other situations, contexts and cultures and work together, sharing meals, sharing time, sharing understanding and coming up with the right combinations at the right time that deliver both short-term and long-term. And that's a kind of like an elliptical strategy, meaning an ellipsis has two focal points. So understanding that for some people, they're 30-year careerist with a pension in an organisation, they're not suddenly going to become radical and put their career at risk. Mm. That's part of the real politic. If someone's going to be in elections in three months' time, they're not looking to be exposed to situations or make decisions that could mean they don't get re-elected. Yeah. So really understanding the people, the situation, the circumstances you're in, and the experience of strategy, culture, communications, operations, governments, decision-making, economics, adaptation, creating your own governance framework that supports and matches participants' governance frameworks that that by itself is a huge skill you know so it's the best thing in life if you can get involved in this because it stretches you and tests you in ways you can't imagine but what you learn in that journey about yourself 
and others is priceless. Yeah, absolutely. And that relationship focus, it almost always ends up when we talk to people on that. It's a, it is amazing how you can be in charge of multi-billion pound asset and it still comes down to working face-to-face with somebody across a table and hopefully both getting on the same side of the table. So, well, thank you very much, Graham, for a, a really, really interesting look inside a leading asset in, in many, many ways. So thank you very much for um, this insight. I look forward to talking to you again. Jonathan, a great pleasure anytime and wish you well. Well, that was a really interesting conversation. There are a few things, obviously, that coming out of it, which I think are really worth us having a little uh, longer conversation about. I think for me, particularly coming out of it, was the relevance of the diverse ethnicity, diverse economic challenges that the area of Luton faces and how the Luton Rising Partnership is kind of working with those to make an impact and make change. And I think it's an interesting case study, really, on how partnerships can make that real impact. There's a lot of talk at the moment about social benefits of infrastructure, not just in the UK, but around the world, really, in the US as well, in particular, where lots of partnerships are kind of in the early stage of taking off. So I think there's probably quite a few interesting lessons to be learned there around making an impact on the social side of things. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, Luton Airport is quite specific because it does really dominate the economy in Luton, but it's not specific in the sense that it's a hefty infrastructure asset that has a lot of interaction with the surrounding population and is managing to use that heft not in a way to just soak up all of the economic activity but actually to help spread it out i've spoken to graham a number of times and thanks again to graham and upskilling kind of generations of people through this long-standing asset is having a world of difference i think it really is a game changer in the way that you view what these kind of big assets which can sometimes be seen as just one major atom that's on its own but actually it's kind of a planet with all of these different industries orbiting around it and it's creating a positive feedback loop but the crucial thing is that it's focused on change and I think without the ownership structure that you don't usually see that kind of thing. Yeah and I think kind of what you mean by partnership is perhaps broader in the Luton Rising sense than we often see with a discrete public-private partnership project where the classic thing is a building, isn't it? It's just one standalone building. In this sense, it could just be the airport. But actually what they're trying to do here is use the airport to leverage its success and its potential to uplift the whole area and through a, a whole range of measures. And I think that's probably the way that we need to start thinking about partnerships more and more, that actually it's not necessarily a partnership to build a single building. It can be a lot more than that. And Graham talked quite a bit about the idea of it being a an organism rather than an object. And actually, you know, that sense of something that is organic, that changes, that has flex, I think that's a really important distinction, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. That flex... It's really the crucial word, isn't it? It's amazing how, as I saying, such a big asset can be so flexible and innovative and changeable in, as things change. Because as you see, in the last 10 years, net zero has really ramped up and kind of come out from a kind of a niche area to now it's on 
every single infrastructure owner's minds. They have to do it. And responding to that challenge, which a lot of them are really, really short-term challenges, 20 years to reach targets is, or 10 years in some cases, is not a long time. And the role that partnerships play, I think, is obviously vital. We spoke about it a number of times. But like you said, collaborating in a way without an end in sight is a completely different type of collaboration. In fact, it is collaboration. It's not just a transaction of, can you do this for this price? Yes, we can. Thank you very much. On we go until the next procurement. It's really working together to help figure out what the problems might be and then also figure out the solutions together. And I really like as well, one of the things Graham says is that, you know, when you find these partners, you might not be the partner for every single problem. But if you can really show that you are a good partner, then you show that even if you are left out on one issue, down the line, you've shown that you can work together, you've shown that you can really collaborate, and that will pay dividends over the long term. And it'll also mean that partners are able to come and go and actually you know, do the work that they're best suited to. And because the partnership is there for more than 20 years, for maybe 50 years, maybe 100 years, then you're looking at a long-term horizon that means that if you're an organization and you're working on something for some of those years, then you're not necessarily going to worry about not being involved in the next stage because you can see what's coming down the line. You know there's the opportunity there to re-engage at some point. Absolutely. And we spoke with KPMG's Richard Threlfall on a previous podcast, and he was saying that with Net Zero, it's important to unlock every player. And this is what that kind of collaborative approach actually aims to do. It really just opens up the book and says, what can you offer? We'll take it if we need it. And I think there's a real big lesson to learn for all infrastructure owners out there on that sort of thing. Is that open-mindedness and that is trust, isn't it, between two different partners? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another element that I particularly picked up on is both the sense of ownership around referring to the airport as our airport, I think you mentioned, rather than just the airport. And that was a conscious change in the language and the messaging and signaling they were putting out there. And I think as people in journalism, we can perhaps overstate this maybe, I don't know, maybe we're a bit biased, but uh, I think there is an important angle there around the messaging that you're putting out there to actually bind people together, bind them into the ideas that you are trying to establish. And We've seen in the UK enough examples of a lack of positive messaging around particularly PFI. We don't have any more PFI projects. And you might argue a big reason for that is the fact that there was not the proper messaging, the positive messaging around what these projects were doing for their environment, for their community, for the people. And actually the only narrative that was allowed to run was the negative one of being expensive, being inflexible, and all those kind of negative things that came out, and some of which were accurate, some of which weren't. And also the fact that the only stories that you saw in the press, certainly in the national press, were where the projects had gone wrong. And so you also then move into the fact that those in the public sector, and particularly politicians, that's the narrative that they're getting. Then, of course, they're not going to be overly positive towards these these projects. And I think we've talked before about places like Canada where, and I had some conversations just this week, in fact, about people saying, well, Canada's still going strong with its PBB pipeline. Why is that? Why have they managed to get that off the ground you know, a few years after the UK, but keep it going for such a lot longer, really? And I think it does partly come down to that messaging point and the fact that 
you know, there's the Canadian Council sits there with links into government, links into politicians, but actually goes out of its way to educate politicians at, at all levels of Canadian government, but also not just those who are in office, but those who are in opposition, those who are maybe, you know, have said some negative things or have some negative views about, about PBP, to actually educate them on the background, the whys, the wherefores, and to bring them into an understanding that means that if and when those people are in power, they can understand where to use PVP, why it's being used and why it might be a sensible thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It kind of goes back to what you were saying before about it being a living organism. We're, lots of people, myself included, probably before I entered the infrastructure world, would have just seen bridge is just a static asset but actually it really is a crucial part of every community and the users and the employees are the best ambassadors that you can have for any project and that filters up to the politicians and the messaging and i think that's what graham's really doing really well is showing that the airport is a major part of the community's workings and the more it interacts with the community the more it helps to drive change that messaging really is just going to flow out from it yes certainly and i've already talked a little bit i think about flexibility that question of whether there is flexibility in these contracts and again having some conversations earlier this week around what went wrong with pfi to a certain extent we've talked about the fact that to a certain extent in those pfi contracts flexibility in terms of what you can do with your building your asset was sacrificed for the certainty of having a private sector partner who is able to pay for it. So yeah, of course, there are sacrifices. The balances have to be made and trade-offs are required. But I think what this experience has shown at Luton Rising is that you can build in a good level of flexibility. And I think Graham mentioned himself that COVID sort of effectively sped up that experience to a certain extent. And I think there are lots of projects around the world that have seen that, particularly obviously in health, but elsewhere as well, where the very serious and sudden changes that were demanded and required because of COVID restrictions led to some very quick changes to the contracts. And I think there's still a lot we can learn from that. And I think that the industry may be a return to the old ways of doing things is just not really on the cards. No, and you, yeah, you don't want to see just another drawing up of the drawbridges as soon as you know the kind of difficult scenarios are over because we're facing difficult scenarios in the non-COVID world as well. Obviously, with net zero is going to require that kind of teamwork, same as with the inflationary environment that we're in at the moment. There's lots of challenges that's still going to require that kind of open-minded collaboration which i think especially through covid infrastructure really showed that it can it can really deliver yes and i i liked as well on that collaboration point he talked about co-solving of problems i think Hmm. that's something that needs to be seen a lot more in partnership contracts and that actually the industry needs to think perhaps harder about is actually contracts are there but you need to be working together as a partnership on some of these things rather than simply working as a an individual silo on a transactional contract. Absolutely, absolutely. It's great, yeah. There's definitely some good learnings coming out of that conversation. So thank you to Graham and thank you to Jonathan and look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you very much, Graham. Thanks, everyone.